Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us every week as we break down one issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now and what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. And this week, we are delving into a topic that would rightly frighten a lot of people, incorporating artificial intelligence into our nuclear capabilities. Keith, even just saying that sentence gives me pause a little bit. Surely we shouldn't be incorporating AI into the most powerful and destructive weapons known to man. Well, you're lagging a little behind Hollywood, of course, because <laughs> Skynet, that franchise which has run on for so many years, is pretty well based on that assumption of artificial intelligence. When it comes to learning more about artificial intelligence, I actually follow a bit of what you get out of Hollywood because they've got some very creative writers in Hollywood. Mm. And in fact, this article, which is from the Texas National Security Review, actually pays tribute to Silicon Valley, which is not that far away from Hollywood uh, down the coast. True. So um, the basic idea is that the pace of technological change is moving so quickly that it's inevitable that it'll be incorporated into thinking about nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And the pace is getting faster and faster. Now, this is, of course, what was predicted. This is uh, called Moore's Law, the doubling power of computers. There is a feeling, by the way, that we've actually reached the limits of Moore's Law because computer chip components are now so small Mm. that we just can't keep on doubling anymore. But it shows there is this incredible momentum within the field of information technology. And one of my favourite examples of this is a movie that you can view free of charge on YouTube called AlphaGo. 20-odd years ago, almost 30 years ago now, the computer industry in the United States invented a computer that beat the world's best chess champion. That's right. And so, you know, we were talking about the way in which the best chess player is now a computer. Mm Mm-hmm. But people said, as a way of reassuring us, don't worry, because computers will have great difficulty learning to play Go, which is another board game, mm-hmm. this time out of Asia. So we were reassured because there are more moves, apparently, in Go than there are atoms in the universe. Well, there you go. <laughs> and no AlphaGo from Google has now beaten the world's best Go player. Great. Computer learning, right? Or is it machine learning they call it? Well, that? yeah. Really machines who do their own learning mm. rather than having humans doing it. Mm-hmm. Now, humans are involved at the very beginning of the programming, but after a while, the computers, in effect, say, thanks very much, we'll take you from here. <laughs> we don't need you anymore. <laughs> we don't need you. No, no. We, 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 we can learn faster than you can teach us. And so it's inevitable, according to this article, that artificial intelligence will be applied to the defence sector. Mm -hmm. Now, the argument is that it's already happening and what we need is is some sort of debate over it. I'm a bit sceptical when they say, oh, we need to have a public debate on an issue. The general public just don't understand these issues. Mm -mm. Obviously, in this series, what we try to do is to bring issues out of the shadows and say to our audience, look, these are things that you ought to be following up on. So in this article, what we're looking at is the use of artificial intelligence in what's called NC3, so Nuclear Command and Control. And you also have their communications as well. Mm. So we talk about C3. So the idea now is that increasingly the decisions on nuclear weapons, on how to use them, 
will be made by artificial intelligence. Now, already that apparently exists in Russia. For those people who want to have a quick nuclear strike on Putin, bear in mind the Russians have got what's called the dead hand. Mm -hmm. So the dead hand means that whenever there's an attack on the commander-in-chief, which is Putin, computers will take over and will make the decision on how to respond. Because, after all, the commander-in-chief has just perished. Right. And this is called the dead hand, which really sounds like something out of Hollywood. Yeah, it does. But the Russians have already got that because their big fear would be a surprise American strike on Moscow or wherever the Russian leader would be at any one time and have him removed what's called decapitation. But the Russians have already advertised, well, if you decapitate us, we will have a computer that will make a decision about whether or not to go to war and you won't be able to find that computer. That's the interesting issue. Mm. So that's already the beginning of this process. Yeah. So the authors are saying already artificial intelligence is being deployed within the context of nuclear weapons. Sorry if I sound simple asking this question. It's as simple as a robot deciding when to launch a missile. Is it any more nuanced than that? Like what sort of processes are these computers going through to decide? And I mean, we don't know 100% obviously. What's the process? Well, the computers will apparently be able to make a decision in a very objective way. Right. Humans might panic. Remember, if you're an American leader, you're always behind the Soviet Union or Russia, Mm -hmm. right? The way the world turns, you're in bed while they're up and about, right? right? They're going to have to wake you up in the middle of the night and get you to make a decision. Mm. The late Roger Fisher at Harvard came up with an idea that the button that would press the American response to using nuclear weapons be placed inside the chest of the person who goes around with the president with all the nuclear codes. Really? And so the <laughs> the American president would need to take a dagger from that person, plunge it <laughs> into that guard's chest to then turn on the button that will then use the nuclear weapons. So no impulse decisions. You have <laughs> well, to think hard about well, it. It's, it's, well, what has happened, of course, is a lot of Americans have said that we'd be horrified about <laughs> killing one person. You're about to destroy the earth, but we can't have you murdering <laughs> your point. very faithful security guard there. So it is a real problem because the speed of having to make decisions now is just so fast. Yeah. So you've got the whole issue of people panicking. You've got people who, well, who are still asleep. Mm. Being woken up, Mr. President, we think the Russians are attacking us. You've got all of that issue. You've got the anxiety about wanting really, do you really want to press the button yeah. and end the world? We're getting all this revived debate at the moment, ironically, over Ukraine. Yes. And President Putin's claims about using nuclear weapons. The problem is that no one can work out how the use of a nuclear weapon would actually assist the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Mm. Anyway, that talk is now in the air. So the advantage, I guess, for some with artificial intelligence, is that they won't worry about these things. They have no children. They have no partners to worry about. They can just go ahead and make a rational decision saying, yes, we need to respond and we will launch the missiles. This push that's talked about in this article is obviously focusing on America and its nuclear capabilities. Is the US seen as having fallen behind in this space? The article argues that yes, which is interesting because You talk to a lot of American IT specialists and they reckon they're still doing very well compared with China. You know, in in regard to Russia, who knows where we're up to with Russia? We don't don't look at them as being a technologically advanced country, but they have put a lot of resources into nuclear technology. Uh, The argument is that the Americans need to get their act together and we need to get more people going from Silicon Valley on the West Coast across to Washington, D.C. on the East Coast 
to educate the politicians right. as to what's going on. The politicians need to be involved in this debate. Do we know if this is something being actively considered by the US government? Well, you'd hope so, but mm. there's no guarantee that it is so. These are issues that tend to go through the deep state. They're not things that are talked about by politicians who have difficulty getting their head around them, mm. particularly the enormity that they could end up in office and having to launch a nuclear strike which destroys much of the life on this planet. So politicians are not involved in this. We would hope that a lot of the people lower down in the system would be getting their heads around it. But this is thinking about the unthinkable. And the phrase thinking about the unthinkable, which I keep using, actually came out of thinking about using nuclear weapons. Right. So the father of scenario planning, who worked in California, developed this idea of a ladder of escalation. So if you're going to start to use nuclear weapons, you start at the bottom, say, with a dispute in Germany, particularly over Berlin, this is during the Cold War, and then you escalate your way up. Mm -hmm. And then at the very end, you use this all-out nuclear war, which destroys the life on the, at least the surface of the planet. Mm -hmm. You won't destroy the planet, but you'll destroy the life on the surface of the planet. And he says, you've got to think about the unthinkable because so many other people are horrified. And so here were the Americans building these elaborate nuclear weapons, but nobody was thinking about how you're actually going to use them. Yeah, right. And so the value of thinking about the unthinkable is that it forced people into thinking, well, how do we actually deploy the nuclear weapons? How are they going to be effective? And, of course, you had an alternative school of thought from Henry Kissinger as a young academic at Harvard who argued that, in fact, the nuclear weapons were useless. Yeah, right. uh, Because you, you would destroy that which you wish to occupy which is today Putin's problem in Ukraine. Yeah, well, what's the word? Mutually assured destruction, So mutually it? assured destruction is the, is the de- theory of deterrence. So yeah. the idea with mutual assured destruction, although we're moving from mad to nuts, but mm. mutual assured destruction is this idea that America and Russia, if one were to attack the other, the other will respond and you'll end up mutually assured dead. Yeah. Now, we've seen improvements, if that's the right word, <laughs> we've seen improvements in technology. Mm. So we can move from mad to nuts. So that's nuclear use and tactics. Right. In other words, we are now talking, as President Putin is, about using nuclear weapons on the battlefield. Mm. Right? It's very different. We're in a different era from where we were during the height of the Cold War when we were talking about blowing up all the life on this planet Earth. President Putin is talking about using nuclear weapons in the context of a localised conflict. So that's nuclear use and tactics. And that's how the nuclear debate has changed. And so people are saying, well, we've got all these changes in big strategic thinking. How are we going to deploy artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence is clearly the way of the future. You know, the question I put to my audiences when I'm talking on this subject is around the year 2050, we will have AI more intelligent than human beings. That's a worry. It is a worry. Will they keep us on as pets (laughs) or will they just simply say, we don't have any need for you at all now? You're gone, no, this is which an, is Skynet. Yeah, I was going to say another example of Hollywood. There's another movie with Will Smith, I believe, from years ago where it was a similar kind of idea, the robots taking over yeah. the world. Thanks for listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter, the podcast where we explore big issues in global politics And this week, it's about artificial intelligence and the role it can play in nuclear weapons. Keith, in this article, it suggests the US should be looking to constantly expand its capabilities in this space. 
But is it a case of advancement just for the sake of it? Why do we need to see these two things combined? Yes, I think that this reflects the power of the military-industrial complex and also the computer industry. In other words, there's almost an inevitability in the way in which you get expectations building up on everything, including, in this case, military development. And you've got a lot of jobs that are now involved in the military-industrial complex. So people are always looking for ways of creating more employment opportunities or creating government contracts or whatever. And also, in a parallel development, we're seeing increasingly the rise of AI, artificial intelligence. And so more and more of our life is being governed by artificial intelligence. You know, we, we just see it. You've got these two strands coming together. Right. So the, the need of the military-industrial complex always to be looking for new contracts, always to be updating equipment. And at the same time, the developments in the computer industry who are saying we need to find new ways of earning money. And there's also this capacity to continue to develop, which is what Gordon Moore of Moore's Law predicted, that, okay, we can't expand what's on the computer chips at the moment. Perhaps we'll go into a completely different type of computer chip. But clearly the momentum is building up. Mm. And so it's inevitable that these two paths will come together. I understand there were some advancements of AI and nuclear weaponry during the Cold War. Can you talk us through some of those? During the Cold War, there was a feeling that there'd be a risk of the nuclear system being disrupted by a surprise Soviet attack. So it was necessary to create a system whereby US bases could still communicate with each other. And so a group of civilian scientists built email, which enabled the bases to communicate with each other by breaking up messages into packets and then sending the information around. Mm. And the scientists who worked on that from the various universities said, we could do with this as a way of university communication. And so in the last uh, 30 to 40 years, we've seen this expansion of email. But of course, the essential problem has just been shown by the Optus hacking is that we have a very weak spine on which we're loading up so much more stuff. Remember, the original internet was designed to enable quick messages to go between university campuses. That's all. That's it. Now we're doing banking, we're mm. showing movies over the internet, etc. But on a very thin spine, if we had known 40 years ago how we would have used the internet today, we would have strengthened it from the outset. Instead, it's a very vulnerable system. Yeah. And so that is certainly a worry for us. Mm. What kind of role would machine learning play in all of this? We touched on it a little bit before in terms of the capability of the artificial intelligence to take control, for want of Mm. of a better word, of nuclear weapons. So machine learning means that the machine is set going by humans, but pretty soon is able to work out what needs to be done Mm. and then starts learning faster than humans can teach it. Mm -hmm. And so one of the complaints about artificial intelligence generally is that we don't know how it works. Right. We don't know how they're going to be communicating. You know, who knows? Perhaps they're already talking behind our backs. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. We won't know till it's too late. You know, why wait until 2050? You know, these humans are a real nuisance. Look at the problems they cause, like Ukraine. (gasps) Let's let's dispense with them now. Oh, my goodness. Don't don't, uh, let them wait on. Yeah. So that is the risk that we run, that these computers are able to learn in ways that we're still not sure that we can interpret. Is there any real vocal opposition to this idea that we know of in terms of, you know, combining these two technologies? 
No. No. And that's, I think, the value of this article because mm. it's um, saying that we really ought to be looking, which has been my argument for years now, the high speed at which we're plunging perhaps towards our doom, if you watch Skynet <laughs> in Hollywood movies, <laughs> the way in which we're just moving ahead so rapidly without thinking through the full consequences mm. of our decisions. I'm intrigued, for example, about what's happening at the moment with the debate over social media and depression in American children. There is a clear correlation between the onset of depression and the introduction of social media, particularly depression of young, uh, young females, young girls. Nobody at the beginning of the introduction of social media stood back and said, how might this affect ordinary human beings? And yet clearly it is having an effect on them. Yes. And this, this, you know, we need to have these initiatives like Lifeline and mm. Beyond Blue, et cetera, moving more and more into this counselling area because people are just feeling so depressed. Yeah. So we plunge into new technology without asking the bigger questions. We need to have more philosophers and ethicists involved with computers. Yeah, makes and sense. Just, and getting and stimulating the debate and just asking the question, are we moving in the right direction? And the problem is that... We know the Russians are already going down this path and we suspect the Chinese will be doing so as well. So it's not just an American problem. The Americans, thankfully, at least are more willing to talk about it, except there's a limited market for it. As I say, so many other people, it'll just go right over their head or they're just not interested. Yeah. There's a good movie, another one on YouTube. I'm promoting You're all, all this internet Hollywood. stuff. I absolutely. Love it. It's called The Age of Stupid. Um, <laughs> and I recommend it to my students. Because the argument is, why didn't we save the earth when we had the opportunity? So the person is the last human alive and is sitting in this wreck and is saying, why didn't we do more to save our own skins? Mm. And so it's called The Age of Stupid. It's a very good, provocative movie. Well, I like wrapping up on a movie recommendation more than anyone else, Keith. So thank you so much for <laughs> your you. insights. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic. Listener.